Hello and welcome to the Double Double. My name is David Dixon and it is Tuesday night, February 16th here in New York City. Hope everyone is doing well, staying safe as uh, the winter of COVID continues. Uh, before we get going here, we have a really fun interview. Uh, recorded last week with the head men's basketball coach at Lewis and Clark College, Tim McCrory. Uh, just want to shout out uh, people in Texas right now who are dealing with a really brutal winter storm and the aftermath uh, of it. Uh, it's crazy what's going on down there and uh, just hoping you guys all get through it as a, as it's a really, really tough, uh, not good situation down there. So, uh, as I mentioned before, Tim McCrory, really good guy, really fun conversation. Uh, Lewis and Clark is out in Oregon, uh, just like the real Lewis and Clark. The school is located at the end of their expedition in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, really fun conversation. They're, they're doing some really cool things out there in the, in the Northwest Conference. And uh, no basketball this semester. It's really interesting to get his uh, perspective on it. Uh, interesting playing career as well at, at UVM at, uh, at, at Vermont. Uh, just really, really interesting guy. And I'm pumped uh, that uh, you guys get to hear that conversation. So I'll hit the music and come back. Is my conversation from last week with Tim McCrory. Joining me today on the Double Double is a special guest, the head men's basketball coach at Lewis and Clark College, Tim McCrory. A Mississippi native, he played his college ball at the University of Vermont, where he played in 104 career games and was a member of the 2004-2005 Vermont team that upset Syracuse and advanced to the second round of the NCAA tournament. He began his coaching career after graduation as a grad assistant at Missouri before joining the coaching staff of the men's basketball program at Oberlin College. After eight years as an assistant, he was named the head men's basketball coach at Lewis and Clark College in 2018. In his two years at the helm, he has led the Pioneers to 19 wins, with many more coming in the future. I'm thrilled he's taking the time to join me today. Coach, how's it going? Doing well. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. How's everything going on your end? Everything's, uh, you know, hanging in there, taking it day by day, doing what we can here on the East Coast. Nice, nice, nice. So, every college... You know, COVID has affected all of us. Every college, it's affected as well because <laughs> every college is unique. Different part of the country, different campus, different needs, different student body. What is the Lewis and Clark's plan for this spring semester with regards to COVID? Is everyone back on campus? Is no one on campus? Like, like what's the college doing? Yeah, so here at Lewis and Clark, uh, we um, were informed um, early in the semester uh, that we uh, were not going to participate in competition this semester. Um, so um, our entire team, our entire group, uh, we basically got together and you know asked the question, kind of how can we make the most uh, you know of a of a tough a tough situation, not only for our basketball team, for many many people um, throughout the world. Um, so what we wanted to do is just uh, just maximize our time together. Uh, so throughout the semester, um, honestly, the goal is just to, you know, focus um, academically, uh, focus um, in that space of, you know, career and internship um, development, um, and also um, diving deep into some of the foundational pieces um, of, you know, basketball and the skill work and development 
um, too. So those three pieces, that's just kind of what we, you know, are focusing on. We have, you know, a, you know, a plan, you know, throughout the month of April uh, where we are going to focus in on some, you know, just some academic programming, mm-hmm. career, career programming. Uh, we're able to, uh, although it's, you know, super restricted um, because of the coronavirus, we're able to access um, our gym space currently a couple days a week. Um, okay. So just planning out just how we can, you know, use the time that we have and, you know, honestly make make the most of it. Um, and, I, and I credit our, you know, our coaching staff, you know, our, our players specifically just, I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm amazed at our players every single day. I mean, they, you know, throughout this entire time, just pushing through and just pushing through and fighting the way. Um, so really, really my hat goes off to, you know, specifically the players in our program for just kind of just sticking with it. And so what is the, is the college doing? So you mentioned, you know, what the, with the basketball plans, but in terms of like everyone's back on campus, but, but you mentioned, you know, limited access to the athletic facilities. Can, can you kind of uh, just kind of just talk briefly on what the university is doing as, as a whole of, Hey, are we testing every day? Quarantining? Is it a bubble? Like, cause every college is doing its own thing. Right. And, and Oregon is very different. So it could be very different than how some schools in Virginia are, are handling this. Absolutely. Um, here in Oregon, specifically because we're um, so close to the city, so we're right in Portland. Um, so our restrictions um, may be a little, little different from you know colleges, other colleges throughout the country. Um, so we are currently in phase one um, of like a reopening plan. Um, so our access to uh, gym space, our access on campus um, is a little limited. I think you know, how we kind of label it, we call it a hybrid model um, mm-hmm. in terms of like um, our, the academic piece. Um, so students are, you know, there's a mixture between in-person learning um, and also remote learning. Um, so a student may attend a class um, in person one day a week. Um, and then for the remainder of the week, those courses are, you know, via Zoom or um, Google Meet or some of the, you know, the online right. tools. Um, and then in terms of the athletics department, um, actually, our you know one of our teams were able to have an exhibition. Uh, we do have you know testing like our we have great athletic training staff. We do have um, testing in place for those student athletes and um, testing. I think at the college we're testing every single Tuesday, uh-huh. um, so we we call it Testing Tuesday. <laughs> uh, so uh, you know like Taco Tuesday, we have Testing Tuesday. Right, so, right. <laughs> um, the the college is um, has a plan in place, um, and then our athletics department. Um, our, our ATs, you know, do, do a really, really good job. They have a plan in place. Um, and just trying to, you know, here, you know, it's like just guidance. You get guidance from, um, you know, the, you know, state of Oregon, you have guidance from your conference and just trying to stay within those rules and regulations. I think in terms of right. the, the NWC, which makes it kind of unique, our, the, like we have Oregon schools and we have Washington schools, you know, though our Washington schools are a little bit ahead ahead of our Oregon school. So if you kind of look up, you know, there's some teams in Washington that right. are competing right now. It's just Let the work, Oregon yeah. schools are trying to get to that, get to that phase where we're able to have, you know, some competitions as well. Gotcha. And, and, you know, yeah. we're, we're recording this. It's February 11th here, usually normal year, right? This is getting ready for the last or the second to last weekend of conference play, getting ready for the conference tournament, you know, Thursday morning, th- Thursday afternoon, 
coaches, players, you know, you're getting ready for practice, you're writing down the practice plan, everything, getting ready for a specific game to play. You know, it's still February, but now with no games on the schedule, kind of just how are how are you preparing throughout the days for the basketball stuff that you are able to do because this isn't, you know, sports and people in sports are so routine driven. This is completely opposite from what our whole lives have been trained for. It's this part of the season we're getting ready for this. Now it's something completely different. So so how are your days like in terms of prepping for these practices, these workouts without any games really set on the schedule yet? <laughs> yeah, 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 that's a really really good question. Um I at the beginning of the, the you know the start of the pandemic, um, you know, got with our coaches and we just kind of embraced that this was just going to be different. Um, so we've, you know, in terms of the fall, we were able to um, have some limited, we had limited access to the gym. Um, and we, you know, it's the same, it's similar in a way, like we come up, we have a practice plan, we have a plan in place pretty much every single day. We have mm-hmm. our week to week practice plan. Uh, it's just, different in its structure right um so we still have a you know a skill development plan we have a you know just it's hard to say hey i want to be here uh in april once once we leave for the summer but we just we have an idea of kind of what we want to accomplish over the next three months um and it's just you know putting those plans those kind of you know skill development plans day by day by day to kind of build to a greater goal um Mm. you know heading into the summer so we we're, you know, the day, you know, without competition, I will say it's a challenge be, because you just have to make sure uh, that you're just staying fresh right, um, right. And, ju- and just, you know, trying to be as creative as possible. Um, shout out to the coaching community, like even just being able to collaborate with other coaches, being able to collaborate. Like, I'm super, super fortunate. There's another, you know, former head coach on my staff. Mm-hmm. So it's just being able to just collaborate and just, you know, just be creative and you just, just try to keep it fresh. I right. mean, it's like, you know, you're doing skill work, skill work, skill work uh, without any, you know, contact or games or, you know, being able to compete as much, but just trying to find different ways to compete in terms of our skill development and all those different things. Yeah. So, so we're going to talk about that a little later on, but, but let's go back in time. Let's, you know, we're, we're chronologically, here. I mentioned at the top from Mississippi, but you know, that's a big place where, you know, where exactly did you grow up and kind of how did you first start playing and falling in love with, uh, with basketball? Yeah. So I'm, you know, I'm born and raised from Mississippi. Uh, my, my father's from Brookhaven, Mississippi. My mother's from Monroe, Louis, uh, Monroe, Louisiana. Uh, we're some country folks. Uh, and we just kind of embrace that. Um, I grew up in Moss Point, uh, Mississippi, um, the it's probably now like that's the high school that Devin Booker went to. Um, I think it's, I, I know there's some commercial centered around like Moss point USA. So I grew okay. up in, I grew up in Moss point. Um, just, just a Mississippi kid. I mean, I was in Moss point, um, was able to play, um, just, I played in Moss point high school. I had, um, while I was there is actually, you know, we were pretty competitive. We won back to back South state championships. Uh, we had a, one of my one of my teammates he went to Oregon State. Another teammate went to Southeastern Louisiana. One teammate went to Charlotte. Wow. Uh, one of my one of my my point guard was the cornerback at Rice. Okay. Um, so so we um, you know we had a great great coach there, Brian Brooks. Um, he was you know it's kind of 
when I look back on it, like, you know, we were getting up at 6 a.m. and working out, you know, I was giving him the side eye. Uh, <laughs> but, but he was he was really like, you know, instilling some some really good, like, you know, foundational pieces. Like, you know, my father was in the army, so it was all about like structure and, mm-hmm. you know, just kind of showing up. And then my high school coach just reinforced those principles. So uh, high school was good. I mean, we you know, I showed up on the high school team. We weren't very good. And you know, my, my class, we ended up, you know, just, you know, being able to establish a winning there and yeah, it was good. You know, we, we worked, we, you know, folks were able to go to college and, you know, not, you know, Moss Point isn't, you know, not a place with a ton of resources. It's, it's hard to make it out of, make it out of that city. Mm-hmm. Um, but we just had some really, really gritty people, a great coach, great mentors. And, you know, I'm, I'm super, super grateful for that experience. And now, how did you go from Moss Point, Mississippi to Vermont? You know, for, for those non-geography buffs out there, very far. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, Moss Point. So, playing in Moss Point, actually, um, you know, playing in Moss Point, I was kind of, you know, under the radar. I always, mm-hmm. I always joke, I always joke, like, I, I tried out for an AAU team. I think it's called the Jackson Tigers. Um, I think Al Jefferson was on the team. Monte Ellis was on the team. I actually got cut. Um, I was cut from the team. Um, so that kind of really motivated me because um, my mindset at that point is like everybody on that team, like I'm I'm coming for everybody. Right. Um, so I, I basically was cut from that team. So that really kind of started my – I would say that really started my basketball career. So just – putting the work in and, you know, just putting myself in position to be recruited gratefully. I think it was the, it was the brother of coach. It was a family member of coach Brennan who first saw me. Um, and then coach and then TB, uh, kind of made the connection, um, was able to watch me play and, uh, was able to you know, offer a scholarship at Vermont and mm-hmm. Vermont was different. Uh, from the other schools that were recruiting me because they were coming off of two conference championships. Right. Um, so when I, when, you know, I was reading about this team, reading about the culture that they built. And then obviously I visited Vermont in the summertime as opposed <laughs> to visit, visiting in the wintertime, uh, which was cool. You know, it's nothing better than driving down Lake Champlain in the summertime. They kind of right. got me. Um, so I was I, in my mind, you know, I was from Mississippi. I thought I was in the country. Uh, I thought I was just back, you know, on the beach or something. So, uh, but I went down and just really just, you know, even the culture that was built, like we had two great players, TJ Sorrentine and mm-hmm. uh, T- Taylor Copperrath on that team. And uh, just the culture that was built, it just, you know, it was just a no brainer. Like my high school, just a tons of winning. Um, so going to Vermont, winning, it was just a, like, to me, it was just an easy um easy decision because of you know what was built there now once you arrived on campus for your freshman year you know the adjustment from high school to college can be difficult you know it's it's a lot for basically everyone how did you go about adjusting to college and adding on the division one basketball scheduling rigors uh along with it <laughs> yeah it's it's interesting it's interesting because when i actually um the the summer before I went to Vermont, I actually got sick um, and lost a little weight. Um, so showing up to campus, um, I even keep my license to this day. Uh, showing up to campus, I was about six to about one fifty five. 
Oh, wow. Um, so I was not prepared for, in my mind, I was prepared. In my mind, I was going to start for four years and we were going to win, you know, a bunch of, bunch of championships, but, um, you know, showing up on campus, um, I would, I wouldn't say I was prepared, um, for, you know, you know, just my high school growing up in Moss Point, my high school was probably, you know, 98% black, Mm -hmm. um, my and then, you know, Vermont's probably 98% white, even right. just being off campus, um, just the, you know, it's a championship program, like being in a program that's run like a machine. It's like some of the aspects in terms of transition from high school to college, I would not say I was prepared for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but immediately, um, you know, arriving um, to Vermont, I knew it was something that I desperately needed, um, you know, and, you know, just honestly, just grateful to be a part of it. Now, you're in Vermont. What was the moment during the first winter where you may have regretted the the decision to go there instead of staying in the southeast or going out west? Oh, yeah. You've done your research. These are great questions because my first winter in Vermont, I remember calling, I remember calling my parents and it's like, yo, what is going on here? Like, it, it was seriously like my first my first winter in vermont it was negative 20 and it was like it was relentless i mean i mean it was every day and then usually like you know, like it's a couple of days like in mississippi it's maybe cold for a week you have to put on a sweatshirt yeah and you're and you're good um you're, but you're still on the beach it's like it's not like but vermont you know on the east coast it's relentless yeah um the winter it just keeps coming at you and coming at you and you're waking up in the morning uh, you know, you're going, you're working out, then you're going right back in it. Um, thankfully, Vermont, when I was there, Vermont had a bus system okay. where you could bu- bus to different classes on campus. I basically lived on the bus. <laughs> I, you know, I, I, I would ride, I, I'm telling you, I would wait on the bus like for, I, I would wait on it like for 30 minutes. I was willing to be late for class, <laughs> not to have to walk, um, have to walk in the snow. So, my first winter, it was honestly just surviving. Gratefully, I had a good, you know, my, my first year, I had a good floor. Like, I had mm. a really good floor of people who kind of guided me to North Face. Right. Um, and this is a true story. Like, I, I, I basically went into into the North Face shop, and I dropped thousands of dollars. <laughs> I was in there buying gloves, hats, scarves. I was just buying stuff that I would never buy. Right. Uh, just just trying to survive the winter. So that's a really good question. Like the, the first winter was tough. And then once you get, you know, I even was making fun of my, I had a, a teammate, uh, Martin. Uh, he would always wear like gloves and scarves and stuff like that. And I was like, you don't need, you don't need that here. Like, why would you need all that? Like, it's like, it's kind of hot. And then next thing I know, like he was an upperclassman. And when I became an upperclassman, I had the gloves, yep. the scarves, everything too. So you know, he was probably looking at me like this, this, this rookie, he doesn't know what he's doing. So it was, it was cool. It was, a, it was like a really, I mean, really, really great experience because, uh, you know, I definitely did. I never underestimate the East coast winners for sure. And then the, the, the worst part is the locals and people who have been there for a while mm. don't dress the same way that they should be. Cause they're used to it. Like, like we played at uh Colby, my, my senior at Wesleyan. And it was one of those yeah. brutally cold main nights, you know, zero degrees, feels like negative five. 
Well, like half their student section walking out, you know, their normal school shirt, pants, no sweatshirt, cu- couple guys wearing shorts who were playing football. It's like you guys are just, you know, we're sprinting the 25 feet from the door to the bus. <laughs> yeah, you're so right. I- we had we had a kid like we had one of the I mean greatest human beings I've ever known in my life uh, uh, from Jericho Vermont and he would literally he would come out of practice in his shorts and I'm sitting yeah. there like how is that I mean he I mean he was just I mean it was nothing I mean he just you know I guess he had his winter coat but me I'm coming out you know triple layered I got right. the long john you know I got my mom sending me like the face shield like anything I need to just try to survive this cold weather for sure so on the basketball court vermont you guys are in the american the america east conference that year you mentioned really good 25 win season you guys make it to the ncaa tournament talk me through that week because you know i think you guys were the 14 seed right yeah you see your name get get called i'm sure as jubilation happiness and then you see that you're mashed up against syracuse national powerhouse what's that week like when you are the the underdog in this tournament yeah like i always like i always think back on that time especially with me being you know a first year student mm-hmm. um it was <laughs> honestly like when i think about it like you know when I first showed up to Vermont and I remember like there was like, we, we had an open gym or something. And I first saw um, Taylor Cockerett play basketball. And I watched this, I watched this, you know, person that, you know, I, I didn't really know he played basketball and I had never like, he was just so good. Um, I think that year he was like second lead scoring in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, he's just such a good play. So I knew we could be on Mars and I felt like we had a chance, right? As long as long as he was putting on the jersey, like okay. I always, I always thought like if you know we like my I, my first college basketball game, I actually uh, I actually ended up like forgetting my shoes or stuff in my first uh, college oh, no. basketball game. Uh, it's crazy. Um, but te- like we end up playing Kansas, and I think I I think Kansas ended up beating us at the buzzer. It was like a late like a couple plays at the end where they we ended up. Like, I'm having this opportunity to win at Kansas, my first ever college basketball game. Mm-hmm. Um, so I knew, like, from that point, I knew, I was like, this is, you know, in my mind, I, this was this is a special group, right, um, to be able to go to, like, to Kansas and compete. Um, and then throughout, when you know, the conference championship game, there's Northeastern, um, Jose Juan Berea, uh, Sean James, just a really good team, was able to, you know, win pretty handedly on on our home floor um, versus Northeastern. Um, and then from there, going into the tournament, just riding a ton of momentum um, and just knowing that, you know, you have one of the best players on the floor. Yeah. So, you, you know, just feeling like you have a, you had a chance. And the, and the seniors, you know, they had been here before. Um, I, think it was, uh, I think it was a group of five seniors uh, won the conference this is they won the conference three straight years. They wanted to leave that mark in the NCAA tournament, right. and it was just a different focus amongst that group, amongst TB, uh, amongst Coach Agle. It's just a different focus. Like 
let's go get this one. Right. Um, and then I think the special thing that happened was Jermaine had a really strong game. Mm-hmm. Uh, TJ is going to TJ. Yep. Um, and Taylor is going to always, you know, TJ is always going to be one of the toughest people. Um, <laughs> he's just one of the toughest people I've ever met. Um, and then Taylor's going to, there's just no one who can guard Taylor. Right. Um, I, I think Taylor could probably go out there right now and get 20 and 10. Um, <laughs> ser- seriously, I would, that, I just, I don't, I don't think there's, it's just, I don't, you know, I don't think there's a way to guard, guard Taylor. Um, and just that focus and that, that, that senior group just really being able to lock in and, and finish off, you know, what they, what they built there. It was just, you know, it was, it was, honestly, it was, it was surprising because you, yeah. you grew up watching Syracuse. You know, Carmelo had just won it the year mm-hmm. before. I'm like, man, this is Syracuse. Um, but, um, you know, for the senior group, that senior group, I don't think anything, just being in practice with those guys every day, I don't think anything surprised me um, in, ter- in terms of the success that they were able to have. What what was it like in practice that week from, from the pure, uh, like the practice themselves? Because Syracuse is known for – you know that you're going to get 40 minutes of two, three zone. How, how much zone prep were you guys doing before that? And just what was it like to now, like, you know, I, you know, when I played in college, there was one or two games, my entire four years where we knew that the other team was going to play zone the whole game. And, but like, we were always kind of working on it cause they may go to it at some point, but like, what's it like knowing that like, they're just going to zone us the entire game, no matter what. Like, like, what is like, what are those practices like? Yeah, in terms of our scheme, um, I think it's kind of you know Vermont the two post system. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we started Martin and we started um, uh, Taylor. Um, so having the two post system in terms of working the high low, you know, every coach and on every level is yeah. get it to the middle of the zone. <laughs> to, you, you know, you know, you know, and you can be. Go into any practice around the country. Yeah. So that the the in terms of the high low two post system, kind of the prep was already there. So it was just like a career of working the the high low system. Taylor understands you know sealing uh, the low side of the zone. Uh, both Taylor and Taylor and uh, Martin are good passers. That's super. I mean, Martin's like a four student. Super smart people. Um, so we're able to kind of you know really really be facilitators in there. And then you have you know, TJ, um, and I really like, you know, collapsing, you know, more so trying to take away TJ, those shots that Jermaine was able to hit yeah. really, really opened up the zone. Like I really opened up everything um, and was able to give, you know, give us just enough cushion, you know, to pull out, you know, pull out the victory. You guys win the game. TJ hits an iconic March Madness yeah. shot that's still being replayed every year. You mentioned you guys had a lot of confidence that whole season coming into that week during that game. It wasn't a shock like, oh, my God, I can't believe we won. You guys were confident. You knew you had a chance, and you won the game. What was it like after the game where the entire basketball sports world is like, you're Cinderella, oh, my God, how'd you do this? You beat them, and then trying to balance like saying like, yeah, we were confident that that we would win when, when everyone's saying like, couldn't believe that you were able to beat Syracuse. <laughs> yeah. I I remember like I remember uh actually like my like I barely even saw the shot because I yeah. was kind of swarmed by the bench over there. But <laughs> I remember TJ hitting the shot. We went I'm on the court, but 
I was like, because my, my friends all came down and they were sitting at like the top row of the arena. <laughs> uh, and I remember this. This is like one of the moments that we share. Like basically my floor, uh, they were all in the same section. And I just remember like connecting with them in that moment. And then us just kind of celebrating that. We probably celebrated a little bit too much. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I just remember that moment with, uh, I remember there was like a sandwich waiting on me in the uh, in the locker room. But I just remember being like us just like that, that we, you know, you know, when you're yeah. part of a special moment. Um, and I just remember sharing that with my floor and I'm, you know, and I, yeah, we said, I mean, we celebrated that for the rest of the school year into the summer. <laughs> uh, just a little bit too much. I mean, too much. I, and like looking back on it, like how good, um, Taylor and TJ, like Taylor, TJ were, we played Michigan state the second game. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think we maybe lost by, I'm not sure, like 10 or something points. I, you know. I really like looking back. That team, that team was really. I mean, just just really, really special group. Um, I just remember, honestly, just remember just sharing that moment with everyone because you knew that you were you were a part of something special. So while while you're in college, you're going through sophomore year, junior year, Vermont, smart kids, people talking about what they're going to do after college. Vermont, you know, you guys aren't putting nine guys in the NBA every year the way Kentucky is. Uh, starting to think about things that you might want to do after school. Were you always thinking about, Hey, I may want to get into coaching or, or were you kind of thinking about going down another career path? <laughs> yeah. This is good questions. Uh, I, uh, yeah. So after, after my first year, my, my second year, uh, it was just honestly just basketball for me. Mm-hmm. Um, like the career piece, was I was thinking about it, um, you know, maybe like, do I want to play after? Uh, I knew I wanted to be in basketball some sort of way to do something. Um, but in terms of the specifics of it, I think when I was at Vermont, I worked for the attorney general, like I had an internship with the attorney general, uh, had an internship. I was working at Coca-Cola. I was delivering Coke products all through the state in the summer, okay. just doing some random, just some random jobs. I really got to know Vermont, you know, pushing like the, all the <laughs> Coke products throughout the state, um, just doing that in the summer. Uh, but really, honestly, like the moment I thought about like what specifically I wanted to do after, I think my senior year, uh, I tore my shoulder and wasn't able to play in the conference tournament. Um, and then not being able to play in the conference tournament, uh, I kind of had a, a period there between like March in April or so where I just basically checked out. Mm. Uh, and then I remember getting a, uh, email from one of our assistant ADs saying basically like an idea of me working as a, like an athletics director working like in admin and like, like administration in terms of athletics. And that's how the whole Missouri thing came about. Okay. Um, if he wouldn't have sent me that email, I would not have, gone to Missouri I, I didn't I didn't look that up or anything that was just like something he saw and that connected me with that space he sent me that and that kind of kind of opened it up and honestly I didn't know what I wanted to do so I just I applied and you know 
I don't know why, but they hired me, uh-huh. uh, and I, and I'm off to Missouri. So, what were you doing at Missouri? Was was it just you know sports stuff? Where you also get doing school as as well? What was the what was the role at Missouri? Yeah, so I was a grad assistant at Missouri, uh, and man, that's a story. So I was a grad assistant at Missouri. I walk into, I was basically working with, you know, pretty much all aspects of the athletics department. Like I was doing, I was working specifically with student athlete development. Um, uh, Kim Bishop was my supervisor um, at the time, and we were basically just, I mean, just working just doing all different types of projects throughout the athletics department. Mm-hmm. Um, I was running into like men's basketball team, football team, women's basketball team, just all sports. Um, and just kind of, and also, um, I was getting my masters in public administration. So I was, you know, I was getting 45 credits in two years. I'm getting my master's degree and then also basically working, um, in the athletics department at the same time. Gotcha. So what was it about that experience at Missouri that made you want to transition away from the administrative side of things and to the, to the coaching side of the athletic department? Uh, yeah. So I, you know, at, at Missouri, um, I was basically able to be involved in pretty much, I mean, you know, all, all different, you know, you know, pieces of an athletics department. Um, so being a, like I coach Mike Anderson was the, uh, basketball coach at the time. I was able to watch a couple practices. Um, and then with football coach Pinkle was there. Um, and I think football team was number two in the country at the time with Chase Mm -hmm. Daniel. And then the basketball team went to the elite eight. Um, so honestly coming out of there, I was kind of on a, athletics director path yeah um so coming out of uh coming out of missouri um i was actually offered a couple jobs um at oregon state and then the university of washington um but then at the time it was just something about like watching those missouri basketball teams watching that like i just i don't know i just was not like i, I honestly just miss basketball i miss being on the floor i miss you know just the competition. I just missed it. Um, so kind of didn't want to go down the road of, you know, going diving too deep into an athletics director position and have a regrets, not, not like I wasn't done with basketball basically. Right. Um, so that's kind of, I just wanted to leave that door open, um, instead of like, you know, taking, you know, it's funny, those jobs are in Oregon and Washington and now I end up back in (laughs) Oregon. Um, but I, um, you know, I just wasn't, honestly, I just wasn't done with the, the hoops part. So we just wanted to leave that door open and, you know, kind of once I graduated from Missouri, wanted to see if I could get into coaching. Yeah. And so you get into coaching, you're an assistant for the men's program at Oberlin, which is about, at, at, at the time in which you arrived at Oberlin, about as different athletically as <laughs> Missouri was at the time that you left, you know, top five football team, elite eight basketball team. Oberlin, very different, you know, division three school, highly academic, you know, at the time struggling athletics, uh, mainly because the kids are, you know, it's so smart, very hard to recruit to good conference. 
why Division Three? You know, why or what drew you to the Division Three level when you've had so much Division One experience up to this point? Yeah, really good question. So I, um, so at the time there was the head, the head women's basketball coach, Kerry uh, Jenkins. Uh, he was an assistant at Vermont when I was a uh, when I was playing there. Okay. Um, so I had always like you know he was around. You know, you know, there's not a ton of people who look like me at Vermont. So we had like always had um, kind of a connection there. Uh, so at the time, I just kind of, you know, put some feelers out. And honestly, I saw Oberlin. I was like, so if Carrie Jenkins is there, mm-hmm. it must be pretty legit. <laughs> yeah. You, you know, that was my thought. I was like, oh, you know, Carrie, Carrie graduated from Amherst. Uh, coach at Yale, coach Vermont, you know, in the Vermont women also went to the NCAA tournament, had Courtney Philippides, she's one of the best players in school history. Like, so it was like, um, I saw it through Carrie. I was like, you know, to me, Carrie's a great coach. Even Carrie ended up winning. Uh, he went, he won the conference at Oberlin. So I, I saw Vermont, I saw Oberlin through Carrie. Mm-hmm. So that was my thing. I, you know, I, to be completely honest, I wasn't, super familiar with Oberlin. I wasn't super familiar with division three, uh, basketball. Um, I just said, okay, well, if Carrie Jenkins is here, uh, this must be legit. Um, so then he was able to connect me with Isaiah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then up, up, you know, Isaiah is a super smart human being. He's a Yale grad. Um, so, and, and then I was talking to him, Isaiah played at Yale. So when I talked to Isaiah, I was like, Oh, this is, this is legit. Uh-huh. Um, and I was, just, I was fortunate um, that he offered me uh, my first coaching opportunity, and and off, you know, I went, I went to, I committed to work at Oberlin without visiting. So I, just <laughs> said, I, said, I was like, hey, let's do it. I want to get into coaching. Um, I got an opportunity, and let's let's make the best of it. Right. So Oberlin is in Ohio. You, mm-hmm. you get there. You're a part of the men's basketball program. You're now you're now a coach. Division three basketball stats just for. Any listeners don't know Division three basketball staffs are usually pretty small. Usually, maybe one, maybe two assistant coaches. Very, very different from the Division one world with several assistant coaches who are in charge of. You know, each coach has a different stat they're tracking. When in Division three, the assistant coaches are doing kind of everything. So, 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 can you kind of talk about just what all of your responsibilities were at Oberlin, kind of on a on a day to day and then a season to season basis? Yeah. Uh, so at Oberlin, um, when I first arrived at Oberlin, uh, obviously I, you know, in terms of recruiting experience, being on the floor, coaching, uh, the, you know, the scouting that goes into it, like put together a scout, like obviously you watch them as players, you, but you don't really, at the time, you don't realize how much time your coaches are putting into those scouting reports. Right. Yeah. Uh, until, until you actually do one for yourself. But um, so the scouting reports and then the player development piece, and then most importantly, helping our players off the court develop as people and making sure that they have what they need. Um, everything that kind of went into coaching, uh, at the time, I honestly didn't really know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when I arrived at Oberlin, I just think my role just kind of grew every year. At first, it was just learning. So I was going on like the road, recruiting, understanding how to you know, kind of track my recruiting, you know, what types of, what types of players coach Cavaco was wanting, like what's the program. I was just honestly just learning, um, honestly, like what, you know, what 
what all goes into being like a good assistant coach. Right. Um, so then over time, um, my role just grew. It just, you know, in terms of recruiting and in terms of my on court responsibilities, in terms of like the travel and, uh, budgets and just everything. It just, it just uh, continued to grow and continue to grow. And then, um, coach, um, coach was promoting me to like a ho- associate head coach and mm-hmm. just, you know, giving me different opportunities to kind of just really work with him and, you know, work within the program. So I, I'm super great. I think I wouldn't trade it for the world. I don't know if you go to like a bigger program, if you're able to have as much responsibility, right. You know, like when you're able to kind of just do it and like actually like go through the decision-making process to kind of go through like the player development, go through like the scouting, go through like, you know, what goes into like, you know, creating an offense that fits your personnel. Like um, even, I, you know, I came from Vermont. We were running the, you know, high-low system. Coach um, Coach Cavaco has some Princeton principles, like, just kind of different, like, you know, four out one end, like, different type of spacing. And just kind of, you know, even defensively, like, you know, we at Vermont, we kind of play, you know, things kind of straight up. And then Coach is more kind of zone-based. So mm-hmm. it's just going through some of those things and learning. Um, it's just invaluable. And then on the other side, I get to watch a women's team. Uh, that Coach Carey is um, developing, and then they ended up winning the conference. So you got, you know, Isaiah, who graduated from Yale. You got uh, Carey, who graduated from Amherst, and they're both building their programs. And I just got – honestly, I just – you know, I just basically went to school every day. Yeah. You know, and just being able to learn from two just, just phenomenal coaches. So you mentioned learning a lot, developing as a coach, especially during the season you're, you're, you're watching, you're coaching on the court – the NCAA has really strict limits, really strict rules on what you know on what everyone can, can and can't do. But especially coaches at the Division three level, you only have a certain amount of days you're allowed to work on the court with the players, in the off season, you know all that stuff. Once the season was was over and, and you're in the Division three off season, how are you working on becoming a better coach? Because the NCAA rules say you know you can't go coach some AAU team and coach eighty games in a summer and really work on yeah in-game coaching like like how are you working on your co- on your coaching itself during the division three offseason yeah so i got you know i was able to get some really 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 good advice uh, from one of my closest coaching friends uh he he basically told me he said play as long as you can mm. um so in the summers i would actually like join like you know like a little league or you know, we had noon hoops every day. I just wanted to play as much so I could just kind of go out there and just get a feel for just like basketball stuff, even like working on, you know, teaching like like develop player development and all. I just wanted to like get out and play as much as I can. Right. Um, and then I always tried to work camps. Yeah. Um, so work, working camps gives you the opportunity. You know, you get your team, you get to kind of coach them up, your little substitution patterns. You just kind of get a, just a little bit of experience, just being able to, you know, coach your team, and then you know, towards the, towards my final years at Oberlin, we were able to have some camps. So mm-hmm. being able to kind of run a camp and you know organize a camp and um, just kind of going through that, like just that player development piece. I was just honestly looking back on it, I was just super fortunate um, because we had, you know, we had, you know, coaches who had, you know, coached at Cleveland State. We had a 
uh, Josh Bland, who was Division Two coach, I think that I think his Division Two team went to the Elite Eight. Um, you know, he was also an assistant um, at Yale as well. Uh, we had um, Coach Gilliam. Gilliam, he was uh, like a great high school coach, um, tremendous, tremendous high school coach. Uh, he played on a team they called it the Shot Palace because they were making so many shots. Uh, so I was able at Oberlin to just be around some coaches that. You know, I could always kind of lean on and learn from, uh, which was kind of cool. It helped my development a ton, especially in the offseason. After seven years assistant, you know, one, one, one more year as assistant, but as the associate head coach, you are named, you get, you get the job at Lewis and Clark all the way out in Oregon, spring, summer 2018. What's the ch- What was the challenge like of being – a first year head coach, like what were some of the things that were unexpected challenge? Cause things always pop up, right? Like, like you're on campus, you're, you're, you're now the head coach. Just like, what was that like? And just the challenges that, that came with it. Yeah, it was, it was, it was two things. So when you leave a place, so I had been at Overland so long, like those were my people. Yeah. Like I knew all the, I knew everything about Oberlin. Like I knew if you needed a resource on campus, if I needed to connect a student here, um, I actually taught a course in the sociology department oh, wow. at, at, at Oberlin. So it was just, I just knew that place so well. I knew the resources. Um, I just, the, and the students there, th- that was my family. Like those are my people. Like I recruited um, the, the team and I, it was just, those are my people. I, you know, I, I had, gotten you know almost like comfortable knowing that these were my people so let's just work and let's just try to win championships um but then um you get an opportunity uh and the it's a challenging part honestly just leaving um just leaving your family um and then going into and also you know going into a new family um and then just you know the 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 work is just rebuilding the relationships that you had already built um, in, in, in a different place. Right. So I think like learning the resources, learning who you can kind of go to and learning, um, how, like, what's the path to develop your players in a city like Portland, um, kind of just learning those things so that I could be a resource for, um, my, my students at Lewis and Clark. I honestly, I think that's the, that has been the work over the first couple of years, just learning, the resources that I had learned in seven, like being seven years at Oberlin, now putting those resources in in place at Lewis and Clark so we can be successful. And so one of those resources is you get to, as, as a head coach now, you get to build out your, your coaching staff. You don't just get to recruit the players, you get to build out your staff. And on your coaching staff, you have coach Pamela Rush, who is the former women's basketball coach at Lewis and Clark and has had a long time career. And this is kind of like the, the way I saw it. It's like, this is almost like the NBA where you have like the head coach and then four guys who are former head coaches who uh, are technically assistants, but you know, they know what they're doing as well. What is that like to have basically in a, you know, an assistant coach who has been a super successful head coach on staff? Like, like what is that like in the office going over scout reports, practice plays? Like what's it like to have someone with the basketball knowledge that coach rush has? You know, I, you know, I, I, you know, Coach Rush is, you know, she's really the GOAT. I, I, um, 
number one, I'm grateful um, to have her as part of our staff. And in terms of the specifics and what it's like, it's just, you know, it's everything is you have a person, you know, you all, you want to build a program. So, you know, I know in our program with coach rush, a part of our program, I know between the two of us, we're not going to miss too many things. Uh, I know that at any moment she can step in and I know that at any moment she's been through it. Uh, The conversations are different because she sat in the seat. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just a different type of, you know, different type of vibe, different types of conversations. And, you know, we're able to just dive deep in terms of, you know, in terms of the basketball piece, like she played at Air Force, thousand point score. Um, She worked at Washington, um, Washington Lee. Uh, obviously head coach at McAllister she was successful coach at Lewis and Clark so she just kind of just gets it on a different um just on a different wavelength having her I, I say I, I say this all the time I my my job every day is to figure out a way to keep coach Pamela on our staff <laughs> uh, so you know that I wake up I wake up and I say hey how can I keep coach Pete um on our staff so I think she um she just does a really 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 great job behind the scenes for us and um, I just, you know, I'm looking forward to her, her role just continuing to grow. So you have your staff building out great coaches, you're, you're recruiting players. You know, you, you mentioned this when you were talking about your time at Vermont, but just the culture of the Vermont program. Now that you get a chance to build your own program and you're creating culture, people use this culture word everywhere, you know, offices teams coffee shops you know everyone's talking about culture but using it almost as this one word one definition type thing when it can mean something completely different to every different place that uses it so what so one are you using the word culture because some people don't use that and then when and if you are kind of what is your definition of of the culture of the men's basketball program at lewis and clark yeah like i I'm, I guess my definition that, yeah, so you, yeah, you do hear like the, the word culture, um, um, the word culture used, I mean, in, in all different types of organizations. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but for me, it's like, it's something you build, right? You build, like you build and you say, oh, this is good culture. And then once you build toward it, you say you want to sustain it. Um, and, and building good culture for us, I, I look at, honestly, I, I was able to like kind of take this from my time at Missouri. I thought Missouri had really, really good culture and just mm-hmm. really, really good people working there. Uh, it was always three pillars. It was the academic integrity piece um, and academic and career development. They kind of go hand in hand. So like doing your best academically and then that academic, like doing your best academically and learning um, through a rigorous academic environment that sets you up to go off and do, you know, whatever you desire in terms of your career, the career piece. Mm -hmm. Um, So we have specific programming centered around like academic development and career development. Uh, The second piece is the the social responsibility. Um, I think you live in a city, you should give back to your city um, and just be a good person in the, the, the community that you're living in. So we try to do like, you know, for our program, we try to do community service, just build partnerships um, throughout the, uh, throughout the city. Um, and then the last piece is that competitive excellence, um, just trying to be our best, just the show up, you know, the accountability piece, putting in the work, all those, those different things. So 
that's kind of the three kind of staples that I, I stay true to the um, academic integrity, social responsibility, and that competitive excellence piece. Now, as you're building out the roster, the team to match these culture principles, you've had, you've, you know, crisscrossed the entire United States from <laughs> Mississippi, Vermont, Missouri, Ohio. Now you're out in Oregon. Recruiting to Oregon, is it different than when you're recruiting to Ohio? Like, are you going to different events? Are West Coast kids, do they have to be recruited differently than Midwest kids or East Coast kids? Like, how has that adjustment been coast-wise from the Midwest, Northeast to the West Coast? Uh, for starters, I don't have to travel as far to get to the California beaches. Um, so for sure, uh, I, um, I it's been it's alike in some ways and it's different in some ways. Like I think in at Oberlin, um, it was different because um, you know Oberlin's kind of a name that you know most people know. Um, it's, you know, if you're looking for uh, that type of school, you kind of know like you know, Oberlin's at the table, um, for Lewis and Clark, um, because we're in the, the city of Portland, um, that gives us, um, some national recognition. Yeah. Uh, but you know, for Oberlin, it's more of an established thing, an, an established brand. And then for Lewis and Clark, because we're in the city, uh, that kind of gives us that boost. Like, you know, you get to live in a great city and then, you know, obviously the, the academic reputation at Lewis and Clark and what makes it similar um, is that at Oberlin, I think we always, it was, it's kind of funny. We're in Ohio and we'd be playing somewhere in Ohio and then they do the starting lineups and they go person, California, yeah. person, California, <laughs> you know, like, and then the other, the other team would be like, you know, that, that local state and that local state. Um, but our entire team would be, you know, a group of California uh, students, but at, at Lewis Clark is similar because of the majority of our, um, a, a large uh, portion of our students also come from California. Mm -hmm. um, so that's where it kind of connects um, all of the, you know, recruiting that, you know, we we were able to put in place um, specifically from California. We're able to, you know, put that in place at Lewis and Clark. And then, you know, at least lately, um, just growing up on the East Coast, all of my East Coast ties, mm -hmm. some of those ties has they've kind of helped us in terms of being able to recruit a couple of students out from the East coast as well. Gotcha. Gotcha. So yeah. second season, 2019, 2020, you're going along, you have good season improving. When did you first learn about or hear the word COVID-19? <laughs> Honestly, to be honest, a parent. So we have a parent who works at LAX. Okay. Uh, and she emailed us. So she emailed us and it was just like a heads up. Um, yeah. Super smart, super smart person. She emailed us as a heads up. Like this is something that's on our radar. And I'm not oh, wow. sure if it was. And it was early. It was probably like October, November. But we, you know, like, you know how we are. We, it was yeah. like, ah, that's not going to make it to us. Yeah. You know, you know like, but then you kind of, you know, follow the news and it just started to get closer and yeah. closer and closer. And then, you know, going into February and March, um, you, you know, it became our new uh, reality for sure. But the first, I'll never forget that email 
reading it, reading about the virus, and then it was early, like we yeah. early heads up, so like October, November. That was the first time, honestly, that I was kind of introduced to, you know, introduced to the virus. Yeah, we were we were in the locker room after practice, and I guess a couple of us had read. I think it was the the New York Post or something. It was like the don't even know if it was true or not, but like the 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 bat soup that was like the big thing. <laughs> Yeah, 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 and so, so so we were talking about it, and then you know we forgot about it and then we got an email from the health department at Wesleyan saying hey don't freak out but an international student who was in China over break in the Wuhan area they're sick and so out of abundance of caution you know they may have been exposed at the time it was like the novel coronavirus that they're, they're going to isolation. So we were all kind of just like freaking out for like, just like kind of, kind of just like, wait, what? For like a day or two. And, and then we got the email. They're fine. And we were like, oh, sure, whatever. You know, went back to normalness. And then literally, as, as you said, then it just started becoming more and more. We could see the wave coming, but we didn't want to yeah. believe it. <laughs> but so, yeah. but so once the wave hit, I know what I did in, you know, the, the student part of it was, was very similar. We all basically were forced to go home for the most part online classes, everything at home, online, you know, so, you know, socially distanced, everything like that. As, as a coach, you see that, you know, the wave has hit, your whole team is going home. They're not on campus anymore. What was kind of your approach basketball team wise to that spring and the early summer in terms of staying connected, trying to get better if, if there are ways to, to do that, how did you handle the early part of the pandemic basketball program wise? Yeah, so thankfully, shout out to Zoom. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. Honestly, just uh, with you know with Zoom coming to the forefront, honestly, we were able to have some really good conversations as a team. Like you know what was going on in the world, both mm-hmm. coronavirus, and then what was going on uh, with you know unrest around the country. So yeah. we we were able to have like just some really good conversations. So we just put in a place, a plan in place just to, just to stay connected. Honestly, we just wanted to be able to log in in community and kind of stay connected um, until we, you know, kind of, you know, receive more information about the virus. So it was just more of a, you know, kind of a week to week plan. And then once the summer hit, we knew that at least until, you know, next semester, this was going to be our new reality and then trying to figure out if we were going to be in person versus um, full remote. Um, and then that decision came towards the end of the summer. I mean, then once we figured out if we were in person, uh, then it was, you know, what type of access will we have on campus and just, you know, with, with every piece of information, just trying to pivot and adjust um, to kind of, you know, keep our students kind of either, whether we're either, you know, being able to kind of grow in terms of the, in a professional sense, your internship academically, mm-hmm. um, and then trying to keep our, our minds fresh in terms of the basketball piece. Like Zoom's amazing. I mean, yeah. you can pull up and, I mean, you can really get creative in terms of, you know, from a basketball perspective. So we were able to, you know, kind of really utilize um, Zoom and, you know, really, really kind of grow mentally um, in terms of the basketball piece. And so you, you mentioned not only did we have, the pandemic to deal with in the spring and summer, but also in very, very early June, you know, national reckoning of the history of America, the way black people are treated in America. It, it all came to the forefront. We had like 
week, two weeks of massive protests around the country after George Floyd was murdered. Really, really important conversations were had all across the country. How did you go about managing that on Zoom? Because these are such, such important conversations, really difficult conversations to have in a lot of ways. And just what was it like trying to conduct these things, these really important conversations on Zoom when normally and naturally you'd want to be together all in the same room talking about it? Yeah, I'm like, you know, I, you know, I say this all the time. I was super fortunate because I have the greatest parents Mm -hmm. anybody could ever ask for. Like my mom's a professor, amazing human. She's the greatest human being I've ever met in my life. The greatest human being I I know, like Mm -hmm. is, is my mother. The most caring, loving person is my mom. Um, and I've had I've had conversations like this, and obviously my father's in the military. He grew up on a farm. Like I've had these conversations all my life. Right. Um, so when it was time to have the conversation, I'm just comfortable in that space because I've been, I've had the conversations. This conversation happens. I mean, if I go home right now, we're going to have this conversation. Right. Right. Uh, so with um, my mom, you know, with education background, um, I, you know, we were able to bring our group together and say, Hey, what, what are your needs in this space? Like, you mm-hmm. know, there's a lot going on, even what just happened on the cat at the Capitol, like, yeah. what are your need, needs in this space? And then we were able to, you know, get a really, really good group of people, like a panel of people, um, who are kind of doing this work already. Um, mm-hmm. so they were able to log into a zoom and just, you know, I just thought it would, you know, we just thought it was a good opportunity to get good, real information. Um, and then those folks were able to kind of log in and kind of, you know, really answer some of the questions that, you know, our, our students had and, you know, kind of, you know, kind of really just giving some direction, you know, moving forward. So the way the way our team handled it was amazing. Um, I thought just being even like you, you know, you kind of knew like, you know, Portland came the center for this yeah. um, at, at one point. And then the students kind of really kind of, you know, did a really, really good job of. Um, just navigating that and, you know, just really, really proud and, you know, you know, just grateful for this group because we were able to kind of sit in community and really, you know, have some really productive conversations. Gotcha. So I have a a couple more basketball related questions before we get into some fun rapid fire ones to, to close out, but talking to coaches, I've been very, very fortunate while doing this podcast, get to talk to coaches, you know, men's and women's basketball coaches, who extremely successful, but also at different points of their careers, different, you know, and they all kind of, just like every person, we watch the game of basketball differently. Now that you are a coach, your head coach, how how do you watch basketball? Can you sit down tonight and watch the 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 Blazers play as a fan the way that I can and just be like, Dame Lillard is awesome for 48 minutes? Or is that basketball part, coaches part of your brain always turning where you're rewinding, hey, I have to see this set, you know, <laughs> what was that call, you know, like, or can you sit as a fan and, and watch the game? Uh, that's a good question. Like, when I watch in Vermont, I'm a fan. Like, yeah. I am so, like, I sit back and I watch Vermont, like, my one of my best friends in coaching, uh, Kyle Saplicki, one of my, my teammates, is associate head coach mm-hmm. at Vermont. Okay. So I just, I just really root for Kyle because I know, like, 
he's one of the best coaches in the country. I, I like so I just sit back in terms of Vermont. I root for Vermont. Um, and I, I get a little bit too into it, you know, like, you know, when they play in the championship games where we were allowed to go to bars and stuff, I would go out and I uh-huh. would just I would I would I, I would honestly you know, kind of create an atmosphere where the entire bar is watching Vermont. Yeah, yeah. You know, they they would know that this is the big time game happening, and they play it like noon or something like that. So, I when it's when I watch it Vermont, I get you know I'm invested um, because that's that's home for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I'm watching, you know, ESPN, ESPN three, I, I I watch a ton of games. Um, I probably, you know, I, I catch most of them um, whether it's live or on Synergy. Mm-hmm. Um, Man, I yeah, honestly, I, I watch it, honestly, just, you know, the way I watch it is just to learn and grow, honestly. I just yeah. like to watch, you know, the NBA I watch just for, like, player development. I just think the skill level, you talk about Dame, like, yeah, oh, my God, you know. <laughs> He's just an incredible basketball player. So I watch, I watch the NBA more so for, like, skill development, and then I watch college more so for the execution. So it's gotcha. like a um, – it's, it's kind of a different – because the college game is kind of similar to – you know, our game, the NBA is just a different beast. Right. Well, yeah. and, and I agree. The, the NBA, you know, I was watching the Bucks and the Suns last night. And, you know, it's it's a it's a different sport. You know, when, when Giannis can do certain things and Devin Booker's making sidestep mid-range jump shots with a yeah. hand between his eyes, it's it's a different game. But that doesn't mean that there aren't things that is taken from the NBA down to the college game. We've seen... The three-point line, not just has revolutionized the NBA game, but it's now teams are chucking up threes all over college basketball. Where do you see the the college game going in the future? Do you, do you think we're going to see more and more stuff taken from the NBA game, the the high school game? Like, like where do you think the college game is going in the future? Yeah, I think the Warriors um, kind of changed the way I think we look at basketball a little bit mm. um you know i know the bulls you know play small ball with robin and kukoc and um you know mid before i was born i'm sure there was other yeah. teams that you know played some small ball but i think the warriors in terms of like how we look at it now really changed the way we want to kind of space things and shoot the three-pointer um like an emphasis on trying like everybody was trying to beat the warriors and then you yeah. saw the villain that villanova team in college, yeah. I mean, just run the table. Yeah, they're incredible. Um, and, yeah, with uh, with Spellman at the five, and then Pascal and all the, the great players that played at Villanova. So um, it was like you saw that space, and you saw what you could do from an offensive standpoint at the highest level. Um, so I do think you, sometimes you kind of see that, and even like the the pistol action now, uh, the Princeton actions. You kind of see those in both, like you know, Jokic playing through the high post. I got a yeah. center who can kind of facilitate your entire offense like a four round one system so you can kind of see some of the you know you, you can see some of the connects um you know between the two but in college like some of the some of the things in college you can still kind of win without the three-pointer there's some teams yeah. who can kind of really get to the free throw line really rebound really play with toughness um but in the nba the way they shoot the three, I'm not sure if you can win if you can't shoot it. Yeah. You know, you know, it's just, I don't, you know, I'm not, you know, I've never coached in the NBA. I'm sure there's some, you know, some, the, there's some strategy behind it, but the way, like I watch in Utah, the way they make threes, it's just, 
it's tough. It would be tough in the NBA game if you you weren't able to you know stretch the floor and shoot the three. Right. And so I was the last question. I was I was talking to one of my friends about this. We we were going back and forth because it took thirty somewhat years for once they put in the three point line for teams college pro to really figure out hey we should be using this line but then also as you mentioned with like the utah jazz how to best utilize the line and get not just three pointers attempted but really high quality three pointers Mm -hmm. we've we've seen the last five years load management has become the topic of conversation in the nba people hate it some people just disgruntedly accept it do you think we will ever see this idea of load management come down to the college game, either in Division One or Division Three, as teams in the NBA keep having more s- success with it. Yeah, we the, in the college game you don't play like the NBA. Yeah, what eighty two games mm-hmm. uh, over? I mean, what's it playing like starting October and they finish in the summer? Yeah, uh, it's just a lot. That's a lot of time in, you know, 48 minutes and you're playing with 40 minutes a night back to back. You're traveling to different cities. Um, I'm sure there's some science behind that, um, behind load management. Um, but in the college game, just because of the amount of games, if there was ever, uh, you know, if there was ever thought of, about increasing the number of games or extending mm-hmm. the season, uh, I could see that. Uh, but I would think. You know, I'm not sure if that would ever. Um, hopefully, I'm answering your question. I'm not sure if yeah. that would ever extend to the college game just just for the sheer amount of games. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's just such a limited game. But if there's science behind uh, maybe scheduling, maybe spacing out games, maybe not playing, you know, in, in tournaments or something like that, maybe you could kind of see it in a different way. Uh, but yeah. you know, with the with the amount of games, maybe I don't. Yeah, maybe I don't anticipate it, but you, you just you, you never know. Yeah, you right. Never know. Yeah. yeah, the I I agree. The the way that I see it is maybe you don't have guys taking games off the way Kawhi Leonard does to to rest for for the playoffs. But I the the way that I see it is practices being different, introducing mm-hmm. more and more things that the NBA, whether it's certain types of recovery, instead of yep. doing practice one day, hey, it's going to be yoga and stretching or or some type of workout in in that way that it's all about keeping your body healthy because even though the college season isn't as long as the NBA one in division three, you know, basically from the first day you're back on campus, you're doing workouts of, of some type, pickup, weightlifting, running, all that stuff. Then you have your season. And then in the springtime, you're also doing that stuff as well. So I don't know. I, I think it'll be interesting because the college game is always drawn from the NBA and just the game of basketball is always evolving itself. Yeah, I would, I would completely agree. And that player development piece is, it's everything like mm-hmm. in terms of recovery, even like looking at like, uh, like your training table, the, nu- like yeah. the nutrition piece, like, you know, that, yeah, I'm with you. There's just so many things that you can always like look to improve in terms of, you know, how to best, um, develop and, and serve student athletes. All right, coach McCoy, I really, really appreciate all the time so far. We have five rapid fire questions to wrap up the podcast. Okay. Number one, your biggest pet peeve as a coach. Ooh, uh, ooh, biggest pet peeve as a coach. Um, ooh, that's a tough one. I would say um, I'm big on passing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, you know, even like 
you know, just like footwork and passing, like just, you know, good foot, footwork and good passing. That's, that's the one thing that's on my mind now because we're doing so much skill development. Yeah. Um, so the, the passing and footwork, that's, you know, something that I definitely, um, you know, pay, pay attention to. So travels annoy you a lot? Yeah. The turnovers, <laughs> the turnovers you know, especially yeah, yeah. You know, this, you know, an opportunity to, to do some things. Do you have any uh, coaching idols in the way that like, hey, if, if this so-and-so is doing this, if they're doing a Zoom talk, I'm making sure I'm on it. They're playing a game. I'm making sure I'm watching on Synergy or DVRing it. Oh, coaching idols. Uh, my coaching idol, honestly, is my father. Um, I, he, he coached uh, when I was in high school. He mm-hmm. coached me, coached our team, and one of the best um, defensive coaches um, just – I mean, even my, my younger teams, we, we would have our talent wasn't there. But we would always win. So, he, mm-hmm. you know, my, my father is always going to be my, my coaching idol. So if he when he opens his mouth, I'm always listening. Portland has a lot of love as an underrated city on the West Coast, one that doesn't get talked about probably enough. Your favorite mm-hmm. place to go out and eat in the city of Portland? That's a good. I would have. Can I? Can I? Do I get two? Yeah. Do I get two. Mm-hmm. I, I would go Sansai for um, for sushi, and then Hapa for ramen. Okay. Uh, those are those are two coach. Those those are two staples of mine. Got it. Your your favorite drill as a coach? Oh, uh, favorite drill. Let's see what drill. I like to mix it up, but I guess I guess my favorite is the five on five on five. Okay. Uh, I would say I like that's that my that's my staple. I you can you know you can work on your zone. You can work on like uh, switching everything. You can work on like your defensive principles. You can work yeah. on like different offensive sets. I love that. And I love like the times we got a drill where like Coach Pamela like coaches the defense and then I coach the offense and we yep. kind of go back and forth. Just mm-hmm. that just that mental battle and that strategy. I, that's one of my favorites too. And last one, if you could change one rule about college basketball, what would you change? <laughs> Uh, it would have to be, uh, I would, maybe I would have to go with the block charge call. Yeah. That, that's uh, a popular I, I, one. Yeah. I maybe because it, uh, just kind of just, oh no, 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 no. Actually I would change the way, uh, post play is rest. Okay. That's a new one. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's where I would go with it because uh, you know, block charge is such like, it's, it's a focus. I would go. Um, post play, um, how we ref post play. That that's what I would. That's what I would focus. On. I agree. As as a post player myself, it feels like you can't touch someone on the perimeter, but then a lot, a lot is let go on the interior. With the yeah. way the game is called now. Yeah, just some consistency there. I think would go would go a long way. All right, that was that was awesome, Coach McCrory. Really appreciate all the time as always on the double double. We give the last word to the. To our guests, you have anything you want to say or shout out to the great people of Lewis and Clark College in the Portland area? Shout out to the team, um, and then every you know, just everyone. Uh, please stay safe, stay healthy, um, and hang in there. Coach McCory, thanks so much for all the time. Really looking forward to watching some Pioneer basketball soon. All right, you have a good one, and good luck um, with everything moving forward. That'll do it for this episode of The Double Double. If you like this podcast, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can subscribe, rate, and review. Five stars would be much, much appreciated. You can also follow us on Twitter at DBL underscore DBL podcast. We'll be back next week. Until then, take care. 
and make it a great day.